Even with an aggressive savings rate, reaching financial independence will take 10 to 15 years, assuming the market plays nice with you. Stack on paying off debts and saving for large purchases like a wedding, a new car, or your first home, we can see how this is going to be an extended journey. Throughout that journey, how do we stay committed and follow through with our goals? This is not an easy question to answer, especially in the age of instant gratification and social media. So I turned to my friend, Matt Worthington, who has followed through with many impressive goals. When he started college, he committed to graduating debt-free. This required working multiple jobs, saying no to distractions, and an unhealthy amount of frugality, but he made it happen. Then he wrote a book about it, which is a feat in itself. Finally, over the last year, he's accomplished several physical challenges, including completing a half Ironman, finishing 75 hard, and running an ultramarathon, which required a focused training plan and a lot of mental toughness. It's easy to write off Matt as someone born with these gifts, but I promise you that wasn't the case. And don't worry, we'll get into that story. My hope with this episode is you pull out inspiration to continue following through with your commitments. Let them be financial goals or anything you have your mind set on right now. So if you are looking for inspiration, let's get into it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mr. Reinvention himself, Matt Worthington. You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. Matt, I'm excited to, to chat with you today. This is a little bit uh, off the normal beat of our, our typical content that we've been putting out recently. It's been super tactical recently on, on different financial practices, uh, mm. methodologies, things like that. And mm. I, I don't want to get too lost in the sauce and always give you know tactical advice, remembering that there's actually psychology at play here as well. And it's one thing to know all of the right things to do. It's another thing to be able to commit and see through, follow through with with the right decisions that are out there as well. So I want to utilize probably you and your stories and your own personal journey to highlight some of those things and to probably give us a little bit of inspiration on on how we can continue doing some of the hard things and showing mm -hmm. up uh, day after day, week after week, year after year, especially early on in personal finance. Once you optimize a little bit, like then some things start getting boring, some things start getting tempting. Like it gets hard because like you're just yeah. like in like kind of growth mode. Like you're, you're you just got to put your head down. You keep grinding. You keep increasing your income. You keep saving. You keep investing. You're doing all of these things, and and eventually you're just like, shoot. Like, is there a shortcut? Like, is there a way to get around this? So I'm stoked to to have you on to to chat about that. And I kind of want to open up the conversation with belief. And I think you're a perfect example of the fact that who you are today isn't necessarily who you're going to be in the future. Mm. And I think you kind of have to have that core belief in you in order to actually want to commit and see through something like even something as silly as like, hey, I'm a, a frivolous spender versus like I could save and invest for my future. Like to have a core belief in like that 
Um, you truly have to believe in yourself. And and your personal journey kind of started out in a darker place, it seemed like. You mm. look like you kind of tripped into alcohol early on in college. <laughs> I think you said your first drink was in, in your sophomore year of, of high school. And it seemed like it mm. was very, it, it wasn't bad at the time. Like it was just typical high school partying. I'm going to try to drink and whatnot. But then it turned a little malicious and mm. you started to become dependent on alcohol and started drinking with only a subset of a group of people that weren't your friends so they wouldn't judge you or even sometimes on your own to cope with with things that were happening in your life. Do you mind kind of bringing us back to that that time of your life and, and kind of walking us through the transformation that happened? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll go back to childhood. I feel like a lot of the stories we create are from things that happened to us when we were kids. One of my earliest memories is going to a volleyball game to watch my sister and my father who was in a wheelchair was pushing his chair in front of me and I'm five or six years old walking behind him following him to go find our seats and there were other kids that were in the stands sitting on the bleachers with their parents asking their moms and dads what was wrong with with my dad they said mommy daddy what's wrong with him he's rolling around what is that weird mechanism that he's sitting on and that piece of equipment like why can't he walk like us so when they said that something was wrong with him immediately i attached my identity to that as well thinking that something was wrong with me so for years through elementary school and middle school and high school i felt like there was something wrong with me and my family that we were different that i was less than i had this inferiority complex that caused me to be really shy and it was hard to, to relate to other kids. And I felt like I was the, the kid that people didn't understand fully, I guess is the best way to describe it. And so when I discovered alcohol and stumbled into drinking, it changed the persona that I felt made up who I was. And that was like the shy kid that was, it was hard to make friends with. And it allowed me to be confident and, and loud and fun. And it drowned out all that noise in the story that I had been telling myself. At first it was fun. I had a good time with it and I was the life of the party. But with time, some of those issues that I had, I guess, suppressed during the time that I had started drinking uh, started to resurface and I realized that I needed to work through the person who I thought I was. Otherwise, the, the drinking as it got progressively worse, so would the identity that I had for myself. And when you have a poor self-image and a problem with drinking, it's, a, it's a, not a good combination. So that led me to having just really bad thoughts. There's a point in time where I, I didn't want to be here anymore. And I had gotten into a car and was going 140 miles an hour with, <laughs> the, with an intent that I, I wasn't going to crash my car, but if I did, I'd be okay with it. And I just remember hoping that a deer would run out in front of me or that I hit a pothole or something would happen. Or maybe a 18 wheeler would swerve over into my lane and it would throw me off the side of the road so that I could put myself out of my misery. That's, that, that was my mindset at the time. And 
I had gotten pulled over that evening. And when you think of a DWI, some, some people at 18 years old, some people might say that's the worst possible thing that could happen. But for me, it was the best possible thing that could happen because it kind of just woke me up and it was, it was the eye-opening event that I needed to start to reflect on who I was, why I was doing the things I was doing and work through the stories that I'd been telling myself for so long. Yeah, I, I put a quote down from your book, Ultra Productive, and you said, in hindsight, I realized getting a DWI, spending time in jail and losing the people closest to me due to my abuse were the wake up calls that I needed. It wasn't the best way to start college, but these experiences helped me grow. I may have been knocked back to the starting line, but at least now I'm running the right race, which is, mm. I think, pretty powerful. It seemed like <laughs> you realize you're running the wrong race the entire time on this one. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us are. A lot of us are running the wrong race. And it's not until we look ourselves in the mirror and ask if we're happy and ask ourselves if the story, the stories we're telling ourselves are, are helping us that we continue to run that race. I think it's very important to spend time, not, not necessarily in isolation, but just introspectively to determine whether or not you are headed in the right direction. And if you're not, that's okay. That's mm -hmm. okay. You can pivot and start a new life, a healthier life, a better one that's more aligned with who you are and where you want to go. Yeah. If you thought back to the the couple months after the the DWI charge were there some things that you did to to help identify that you were running the wrong race was it exercise was it truly spending time just by yourself did you journal or prompt mm -hmm. were there specific questions that you were reflecting on do you remember anything at the mo at that moment that that kind of helped you break through the the line of thinking you were previously thinking through yeah. So I think the biggest thing was one, accepting the fact that I needed to change and then being very transparent with my friends and family about that, saying, mm -hmm. I am tired of being sick and tired. I can't go like this anymore. Alcohol has literally brought me to my knees. I've hit rock bottom. I just need some help and, and asking for help. We talked a little bit earlier about what I feel has been on my heart a lot here recently. And it's it's spending time with the people you love. And I w was lucky enough to have people that, that loved me and were, were willing to not only pick me back up, but, but drag me along with them. <laughs> you know, come on, Matt, you got it. Just keep going, keep going. And one of my friends at the time, Greg, uh, Greg Sears, excuse me, he recommended that I start to read. He goes, well, there's amazing, amazing authors and philosophers and teachers out there who've spent their entire lives around certain subjects and topics. And if you just pick up this book with 150 pages in it, it could give you entirely and completely new perspectives that could really change your life completely. And so I did that. And the first book I picked up was Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. A lot of, a lot of, uh, young people out there know that book, of course. And that just started me on this self-development journey. But the thing about that book that really, really hit home was your beliefs are your future. And I just, I didn't believe that I 
that there was more for me out there. That was, I was in such a bubble at the time that I felt like that was my re reality. That was my life. And until I read that, it wasn't until I read that book that I started to realize there's more out there and I can do more, but I have to believe that I can do more first. Because if mm -hmm. you don't believe in yourself, not many other people will. That's cool that you reached out to, to friends and family. Just the honesty and the fact when you verbalize something, mm. I feel like takes so much weight off. Like you've now brought other people into the folds and you're being honest with them and truthful with them and you're asking for help and support. I think that's a really important piece to any journey. You know, I think it's it's hard if it's all kind of bubbled up inside and you're the only one that's like feels like they're owning this thought and this feeling. That's a big challenge. And Mm. I do want to talk about influence because I do think this is an important piece around staying committed and seeing through your goals is, is some of this external accountability. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's fun. I mean, out, outside of listening to, to Value Village, like you <laughs> reaching out and, and asking people for help and, and bringing the right people around you, I think seemed pr probably like it helped you make a major shift into the direction that you are now, which is night and day difference to, to where it seemed like you were. You live with four guys, I believe. It's five of you all together. It's like a, it seems like a mini frat house now. <laughs> uh, Feels like that. What, yeah. What, what are some ways that, that these guys influence you for the positive? Mm. Zach Barney, one of my roommates, is the type of person that always keeps life light. Mm. He never lets anything get him down. He's he always just goes ah, forget it. You know <laughs> that that he, he can just brush things off so well, and so he has a he's a constant reminder for me not to let things that aren't that serious become serious. Zach Manley he is always okay with just kicking his feet up and laying on the couch and reminding me like. You don't have to go a million miles an hour every single day. You can relax. You have one life. You can enjoy it. Uh, my roommate Royce is the funniest guy I know. He's just always laughing and he's always cracking jokes. And being, being able to be around somebody that's always in a good mood is, is so healthy. And then my roommate Dylan is incredible in the sense that he's always willing to listen and talk and he's kind of like, it seems like the house mom where you have an issue, you go to Dylan and, <laughs> you know, he's giving you that one-on-one -on -one time. And so I, I couldn't be more thankful and grateful for having the roommates that I have. And they've all had an influence on my life in different ways and remind me to try to do that myself with my friends outside of the house and my family here in Austin and, and across the country uh, and, and coworkers too. So yeah. A lot of who I am is a reflection of who they are. I'm just simply a mirror of the positive traits that, that they are and really grateful for all of them. Yeah. In your book, Ultra Productive, you have a bunch of good motivational one-liners. And one of my favorites that I, I always see and, and love to, to, to reflect back on is uh, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Yeah. I think that's so, so true. Like it's, <laughs> you have the, the minimalism uh, chapter and, and yeah. I love that one of those categories was auditing your friends and, yeah. and really thinking through the people that you're around more times than not. And I'm, I'm guessing through your yeah. journey with alcohol, you, you probably had to drop a few people that, that only really loved and embraced Matt from that yeah. perspective and, and couldn't necessarily 
love, support, and embrace Matt where you truly, really wanted to go in your future. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I almost get um, emotional talking about it because I was, um, man, I was just sick. I was sick for a long time, and um, I was sick because of the drinking, but also just mentally sick. I wasn't feeling myself, and it's tough when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. I mean, when you're that age, drinking is, is so prevalent and um, not everybody gets it. Not everybody understands. And I was lucky enough that I had a few friends that even though maybe they didn't understand, they still loved me for me and they were supportive and they saw the negative effect and impact it was having on my life. And so they held me accountable. I don't think I would have been able to do it by myself. And so being able to have the support system around me that I had has allowed me to now be seven years alcohol free. And yeah, this podcast is just making me realize there's a lot of people I need to thank. And I, I appreciate <laughs> you uh, asking these questions because it, it, it does help me reflect and remind me that you know, those people who played such a, a big role in my life during that time and still play a big role in my life uh, need to hear this and I'm going to thank them after this podcast. Thanks, Justin. <laughs> yeah. Really seven years that. too. Congrats, man. That's awesome. And that's thank seven you. hard years. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not, you know, 50 to 57 when, <laughs> you know, you're, you're maybe at best doing some casual glasses of wine. Like <laughs> your late teens into your mid twenties is a very tough time to not be drinking when yeah. the majority of people around you that is how you socialize. How did yeah. you cope with that aspect of it? Were you, mm. I mean, I, I read the book too, and it seemed like more times than not, you were just sacrificing going out on Friday and Saturday nights and yeah. and instead picking up work and maybe to an extent utilizing work to avoid uh, yes. or keep yourself distant from, mm. from some of those opportunities. Anything else that you can, you remember doing that really kind of helped put some distance in between that? I almost am embarrassed to admit this, but I used the fact that I knew not going out and instead working was having a net positive that was almost a multiplier. And I was allowing my, my ego, to be honest with you, to push me to do that more. So the way that I can break that down is I would just remember friends of mine or acquaintances rather tell me that they were going out and that they would spend $80 or $120. And I was like, okay, so they, within that period of time of me not going out and them going out, have a net worth of $100 or $120 less than I do. Well, what if I worked that night and the next night and the next night and the next night, right? Um, and made $150. Well, then our net worths are a difference of $250. And then in my head, I thought, well, what if I can continue to do this over an extended period of time? If they're doing this every weekend for a year almost, and I do this every weekend for a year, and by the end of the year, our swing of net worth is going to be thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And that was, that was encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I would try to explain that, but at that age, you're more focused, it seems, on having fun and having a good time and, and getting those experiences, which I totally understand. Yeah, I, I, I really fed off of that that idea and that concept, and it just kept me kept me moving forward. 
Yeah, I, I grabbed a quote from the book, and, and this is about a paragraph, so, so give me a second here. Instead of going out to the lake with my friends on that Friday during the day, I chauffeured and made $210. Instead of going to 6th Street that night, I bartended and made $490. And instead of going to the game that very next day, I valeted and made $225. Valet j- ended just in time for me to get off so I could go go out and party, but instead I picked up the shift, uh, shift the very next morning at a wine tasting event and made $200. I walked out of that weekend making $1,125. Sometimes being a homebody isn't so bad after all. <laughs> I'd love to that. I was just like, dude, he's a grinder. He's a grinder. And not only did you make the the $1,125, but looking through and picking out some of those events as well. I, I mean, you would have easily spent two or $300 between bar tabs and tickets and covers and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And and not to mention too, I'll just throw this in because uh, I think it's important. It's funny to note. I, I never ate out too. During that time, like I always packed my lunch. It was always peanut butter, jelly, tuna packets, <laughs> uh, banana, maybe, maybe an apple. I was just so frugal at the time. And, and I look back and I'm very thankful I was. But yeah, it was it was a grind there for a, a period of time. <laughs> have, have you loosened the grips a little bit now? You're you're making a little bit more. You you found balance. Like, do you feel like you're you're allowing yourself to I, to spend and enjoy in certain areas. I have. And I think that's important too. You know, sometimes I look back at the book and as much as I'm proud of myself for staying so disciplined during that time, I do think it was to maybe an unhealthy level. Yeah. <laughs> and so I try to say that now because I do think that that mental health is super important and mm-hmm. you, you, you do need times to to rest and relax and have fun and let loose and spend time with the people you love. Uh, otherwise, you're just going to be consistently, consistently in a, a phase of burnout. And that's a lot on your body. Yeah. But I do agree with the philosophy that sometimes you need to double down on discipline and and really almost go to the edge Mm. of what you thought you were capable of. I mean, it could be finance, it could be health, it could be a lot of different things in order to kind of reel it back in and figure out where do you actually want to land? Like Mm -hmm. there are some things that I thought I could never do. And then I pushed myself so hard and went far and above what my original thought was. And then it seems almost easy to come back to that initial spot. I'm like, okay, yeah. like one one thing I know that that you've done is a, a half Ironman and I've done an ultra marathon, uh, did 100K and the training for that, I, I mean, oh, the actual event is is one thing, but mm. the training for it is where most <laughs> of the 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 real substance is, is earned. Like I yeah. can't imagine how many times you laced up the shoes or got on your swim stuff and went out and you trained on Friday nights or Saturdays, whenever other opportunities were out there, yes. but you knew you had to stick to a plan if you actually wanted to see through and cut and, and actually accomplish the goal that you had for yourself. Mm-hmm. I, it, like 2023 for you, man, was like jam packed with so many of these challenges. I, <laughs> I'm trying to remember some things. 75 hard, it sounded like you started out the year with 75 hard, which I, I think is just yep. a great baseline. <laughs> if you really want to test your discipline and commitment, I think that's a yes. really good one. And then the the half Ironman, you did something with cold too, right? Like something yeah, that's I did like a 40 f- minutes of cold or. <laughs> yeah, I did a, f- a 40 minute cold plunge. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, thousand pull-ups, uh, mild tire flip. Yeah, just just pushing the limits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's nuts. Can you extrapolate some of these like learning lessons from these mini challenge? I'm gonna call them mini challenges. They're they're not mini challenges. I should probably call them major challenges. But can you extrapolate some some concepts that you apply to to other areas of your life, accomplishing some of these goals? Yeah, I I think some of the ones that really come some of the lessons that come to mind all actually center around other people so some of the challenges there were there was somebody recording them or somebody there to cheer me on or somebody there to give me words of encouragement and while it looks like it's just me it it it's not just me and I really think that the, the lesson that came from all that was it takes a village to do anything and it takes having people in your life that love you and support you to be able to take it to that next level. And so I really just think that I'm trying to be as humble as I can because I don't think I would have finished the 50 mile ultra marathon if it wasn't for my sister and my mom showing up. I don't think I would have finished the 40 minute cold plunge if it wasn't for Noah and Kate that were right there next to me, like almost holding my hand as I was shaking uncontrollably. I don't think I would have finished the mild tire flip. It wasn't for Zach Barney, that last lap saying, Hey, keep going, keep going, keep going. It just shows, showcases the importance of having good people in your life. And, you know, I I think something I wonder too, Justin, and, and maybe you have an answer to this is, how do you find those good people? If there's someone who's listening to this podcast right now saying, wow, I wish I had that. I don't, I don't know necessarily what I'd encourage them to do. And I'd be curious if you have an answer to that. I think part of it's just putting yourself in those situations where these people are already there. Mm. Like you, you don't go to an ultra marathon race and not find some really crazy, really encouraging, really <laughs> inspiring people. Like, like yeah. if you want to do it, like yeah. set your mind to it, start telling people too. like one of the biggest yeah. things that I did was document some, some of my journey throughout that. And then yeah. I would get DMS from friends that I hadn't talked to in 10 years that wow. are also have transformed their life. And they reached out to me. I, I actually, I remember doing my first four by four by 48, which is David Goggins, uh, four miles that. every four yes. hours for, for 48 hours. Yes. And I got a buddy, Corey, who once again, I hadn't talked to in 10 years. He saw that he's gone through seals. Like this dude's hardcore. Uh, yeah. We hadn't really talked or spoke, but I was documenting the journey through accomplishing this. And he knew my, my 4am the second night was coming around and he yep. just gave me a call out of the blue. He's like, hey man, wow. you're, you're probably on your, your 4 a.m. run right now, aren't you? I was like, yeah. He's like, that's gotta be the worst one, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you wanna chat? You wanna chat for like 10 minutes and just kill some time? I'm like, wow. yes. <laughs> so Dude. like random things like that, like people show up almost to, to like, once you started verbalizing that you needed support and help with, with alcohol, you put that out there that you're looking yeah. for good people or trying to attract good people. And, yeah. and I think the people will find you. Mm. Mm. That's a beautiful answer. And I'm I, guessing I you've had a, a fair amount of people show up in your life over the last year after doing some of these crazy challenges. Actually, your story with uh, your half mar- your half Ironman, when you encouraged that one dude, like you were up and down on your bike and you and this guy were passing each other, uh, <laughs> you know, getting on and off. And he just saw you like 
cramping after your your bike a- accident or incident and you thought you weren't going to be able to to go to the final segment of your mm-hmm. Ironman, which was the run, because mm-hmm. uh, you were going to get time cut off and DNF'd. You showed up to the, the line, and of course, they were going to let you. And yeah. you just put the shoes on and started running. And this guy looked at you, too, and he's just like, well, shoot, I guess I got to do that as well, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I know I summarized that story for you, but yes. like that was a dope experience and a dope moment. <laughs> yeah, so during my bike, I my my tire blew on mile seven, and I had to wait an hour before they were able to help me change my tire. Of course, I didn't have a spare, but that was, <laughs> that was on me. So I was trying to play catch up that entire time. And so once I, I got to the latter half of the bike ride, I'd gas myself the first half of that 56 miles. And almost every three miles I would cramp up, but I just, I, I had worked so hard and I trained so much, it would have really killed me to not finish. I, I didn't care at the t- for the time at that point. I just wanted to finish. And so I would just bike as fast as I could and I'd pass by a bunch of people. One of the people I was passing by was this, this gentleman. And then I'd cramp up. I just couldn't bike anymore. So I'd have to hop off the bike and rest my legs. And then he'd pass by. He's like, oh gosh, there's that guy. You know, he, he must be going through it. I'd hop back on the bike. I'd fly by them and then I'd cramp up again. I'd, you know, hop off off the side and there he goes passing me. And it happened multiple times. Finally, I was like, this time I'm just going to try to go with the pack. Like, I'm not going to try to pass anybody, just go with the pack. And so we're riding next to each other. And as we're riding next to each other, there's a sign that said that we had missed the cutoff. And to this day, I, I don't know why that sign was there. It must have been a mistake. But both of us just looked over at one another and we said, dang. And his words and his, his only remark, if I remember correctly, was, well, man, sometimes it's just not our day. And I appreciated him giving me the space to accept that sometimes it's not your day, but I was actually upset with him too, because I wanted him to be like, no, 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 that can't be right. Like that must be a mistake. Let's go twice as hard. Come on, let's get to the, the, the finish line so that we can put on our shoes, run and still qualify for the finish. But that wasn't his attitude. And so we we're kind of biking next to each other. And I look over and I go, well, if it was a mistake, do you think that you would still run? And he goes, I don't know, man. I'm, I just, I'm, I don't think I got it in me. And he looked at me, he goes, are you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I would. I would for sure. And he goes, uh, I don't know, man. And so we just, we kind of go our separate ways. I bike a little bit in front of him and I pull in and turns out, there was still time to be able to go and start the run. And so I throw my shoes on right away. And where I was running, I took off to the left. And sure enough, his bike and his shoes, where he rolled in to, to lock his bike up, was right by where I had to run past to go to the start of the run. And I ran right by him and I look over at him and he looks at me and he's like, that son of a bitch, you know, <laughs> he's like, no way he's actually doing it. And I was like, come on. I just gave him that look. I was like, you better throw the freaking shoes on, dude. Like, come on, we got time. And, um, there's a point in the run where runners on like mile six are going one way and my runners are mile 12 are going the other way or something like that. 
And so we had, we're passing each other at that point. And uh, I was just so happy to see that he had actually done it. And I think he was happy that he decided to, to make that choice as well. And of course, I never saw him after that, but we both looked at each other on that run. He kind of gave me that nod like, hey, man, thanks for just encouraging me and, and pulling me along with you to do this because nobody will ever be able to take this away from me. This, this Iron Man medal uh, is mine forever. And uh, we, need, we need people like that in our life. And, and there's been so many people that have done that for me. So it, it just, I, I, can't take, I can't take credit. You know, it was, he was one that decided to do it, but just kind of giving him that nod. I think was enough for him to, <laughs> to complete the race. Hopefully one day he sees us, dude. I'd, I'd love yeah. to like catch his name or, uh, you know, like get him on social media so we can stay in touch. But I, I never saw him after that, you know? That's wicked, man. Dude, That's that story gives me chills and I've heard it a couple of times now. That's just so <laughs> cool that just the thought that you might have impacted someone like that because, hmm. you know, doing some ultra endurance sports you know, it sucks in the moment. It really does. Like it, there's no sugarcoating it. Like it is not easy. I remember and on my ultra, like I hit the halfway mark at yeah. the 50K. I was so banged up and I was like, Yeah. How am I about to do what <laughs> I just did? Miles. Yeah. But do it again. Like yeah. I just couldn't imagine, like, at this condition, <laughs> I was just about to repeat exactly what I just went through. Right. And <laughs> Like there was points in that, that race where like, mm. you're thinking about quitting, not every like half mile, not every, you know, crest over every single hill, but like every step, like every yes. step you're just like, yes. maybe I'm done. Maybe I'm done. <laughs> yes. But you just keep lying to yourself to an extent. Like you're just yeah. like, just, just hit the next, like, I'm not gonna be able to quit until at least I get to the next aid station. So I'm just yep. gonna keep running until yep. that the the aid station hits and and honestly you talk about people too um my best friend Mason I did the 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 ultra with him and he was one of the primary reasons I think I finished it like mm. at one point in time he realized like I was in a whole lot of pain and he just yeah. stepped in front of me and he's like dude just look at my back look down at my footsteps like yeah. don't don't slow down just follow my pace and and we'll yeah. get, and I'll get this done for us and I was just like yes <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that he could say the same about you being there? That he wouldn't have finished if it wasn't for you as well? I hope so. But that that guy's yeah. a bad motherfucker. He could have definitely <laughs> finished it on his own. So I ended up, so that was 100K. And then later that year, he went on to to sign himself up for a 100 miler. And he called me and was wow. like, hey man, will you, will you be my pacer? And it was dope. It was wicked. Uh, I was really wow. excited because I was got to crew him and pace him. It was a, oh man, I can't remember the cities, but it's for essentially from like Daytona to Jacksonville or something, or maybe I have it reversed. Wow. Jacksonville to Daytona. I literally, I literally flew into one airport and I had to buy a ticket and fly out of a different airport because no of <laughs> because of how far <laughs> we ran. And this, it, it's just um, there's no loop to it or anything. So you get your crew follows along with you in a car, and you wow. guys just like meet up wherever you want to meet up on the race. It's a road race for the most part. Like we're on concrete almost the entire time. So this dude goes and. Yeah, really rough. This guy runs <laughs> uh, like 40 miles with like some of the best ultra marathoners, like the first half of the race. And then it was so humid that day too. We started to slow down around mile 40 and eventually had a, had a drop down. And, and he's like, oh man, I need you put your, put, put your shoes on. So I ended up getting to run like 
17 miles with him over the course wow. of like 40 to, I don't know, 60 ish. And then he set me back down because he's like, man, I think I'm going to need to need you again uh, yeah. at the end of this race. And, and granted, I told him ahead of the race, I wasn't doing any training or anything. <laughs> I was like, I, I got 20 miles in me. So like use those 20 miles wherever you want. However you want. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, I, he sat me down around like 17 miles and I was like, I, I'll get eight more for you. Like I'll do 25 total. Yeah. And he grabs me again. He was in a bad spot. Uh, he grabs me again around like mile 80. And we were like crew stopping like every mile, every two miles for him. Yeah. Like he was just like, yeah. dude, just, just, just drive, drive a mile down and, and let's meet up again. Like he was, it was a bad on and off walk, walk run situation. And I hopped on yeah. with them and we were in a dark place for a while. Like the last uh, miles, like 80 to 90, we didn't do a whole lot of talking. I was just kind of mm. sitting alongside of them. Mm. Uh, I try to generate some conversation with them, but more times than not, we were just sitting there in silence. I think he liked having appreciated somebody next to him. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> the only comments he were making were, were kind of like mathematical comments. Like he was like, mm. man, there's supposed to be an aid station at 89. Like we gotta be there. Like I'm looking at my watch right now and I'm at this mile marker or like mm. we're at this time. Like I could tell that he was starting to do the calculations and right. And like, oh shoot, like, I don't know if I, I actually want to finish this. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, because so, you have to walk a lot, right? And yeah. and if you are running, it's like you're dragging your feet and it's almost like you're just fast walking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so we he was going through that and he kept asking about it. And I was like, dude, if I, I told him, I was like, man, if if you're just if you're gonna finish this race, then it it is irrelevant what mile marker we're at right now. Like mm. the only decision that you can make is to continue moving forward. Like yeah. it's, it's an irrelevant conversation, man. We don't need to decide if we've m missed an aid station somewhere or, or how long it's going to take. <laughs> yeah. Let's just exactly, finish. exactly. Anyway, we, we finally see an aid station out, uh, out a little ways and we, we come up to it, we get juice back up, throw back some Sprite, you know, hit, hit a handful of trail mix and we start <laughs> off and, and Mason turned back to the guy and he was like, said something. He was like, all right, nine miles to go. And this guy was like nine miles we're we're eight station 90 mile marker 93 so you only have seven miles seven and i just saw his eyes light up light like, up and then over the course <laughs> of like the next few miles like our pace started picking up like for the last mm. 10 miles i was dragging him like i was in front i was setting pace <laughs> i was jumping on and off the curve making sure cars weren't coming by and all of a sudden the dynamics changed and he came mm. in front of me and and he was like starting to wear me down. And yeah. I finally fell to the ground at mile th like three miles out, like 97. I was carrying everything for him too and just cameling for him. And I looked up to him. I just tossed his water bottle to him. And I was like, the rest is yours, man. And he looked up at me. He, he looked down at me. Yeah. And then he was like, he did, gave me that nod. He's like, it's mine. And he just yeah. like turned around and, and ran off. Yeah. <laughs> it was the craziest thing. He ends up like, passing i don't know at least 20 25 people over the last On like the last three like miles. three three miles like the dude wow. came in like eighth overall finished like 19 hours um for a 100 mile race it was just the gnarliest oh, thing to gosh. watch and experience and to be somewhat a part of like it was so dope he ended up putting up i ended up putting up 35 miles with him i was like i have no idea how you got me to do that many <laughs> miles like that is insane i promised you 20. <laughs> <laughs> well they, i've heard that they say 50 miles is twice as hard as 25 or a marathon, right? Mm -hmm. 50 miles is twice as hard as a marathon. And 100 miles is four times as hard as 50 miles. 
<laughs> That's what I've heard. So I believe hats that. off to him for finishing it and and kudos to you for going 35 <laughs> miles with him because I bet you that that he would echo the sentiment of not being able to finish if it wasn't for you. So good for you being that support system, man. <laughs> well, Matt, I totally lost track of time. We've been shooting stories back and forth here. So I want to get uh, some conclusion to to the conversation here today. Mm. Um, before we, we finalize and wrap up this uh, conversation, which has been so much fun. I mean, I've digged researching you and getting to learn a lot about you and, and reading through your book. But you also have this this really cool group called Riser. You want to share with the audience uh, a little bit about Riser and if they're interested in connecting with the group um, where they can they can find more information. Yeah, so Riser's a networking community here in Austin. We don't like to say we're a networking community because it comes with a negative connotation. You know, your typical top button, suit and tie, name tag, champagne glass events. We're different. We have DJs, comedians, magicians, speakers, a lot of vendors, drinks, food, and it's a really, really good time. But rather, we're a success-driven community for young professionals, business owners, entrepreneurs, and people in the Austin area who want to make an impact in Austin and who want to make an impact on the world. And we're strong believers that it takes a village. You can't do it alone. And so being in an environment like that with other people who want to make a difference is very empowering, one, but also insightful to see where you can improve things that you can do better and just coming in with an open mind and learning how you can take things to the next level. Yeah. And Kyle and I have vended at an event before. We're frequent attenders of, of Riser events. You guys have really made a, a cool community and it's it's fun to to see how you guys have grown. And I'm really stoked to to continue showing up and seeing where you guys take it. Thanks, Justin. Final question for you, Matt. If you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? I wouldn't teach them about a tangible topic. I don't think I'd teach them how to make more money. I don't think I'd teach them how to save more money. I don't think I'd teach them how to invest, how to buy homes, how to grow their passive income portfolio. I think I'd teach them about the importance of love. I think the universal language is love. That's what brings us closer together. And as I make more, as I acquire more, as I see more success, I also, in contrast, find that it's not making me any happier. And the things that do make me happier are being a good person, being very thoughtful, trying to be very respectful of others and empathetic and compassionate. So maybe my 16-week course would be a collective effort of all the students in the classroom coming up with some big grandiose idea of how we can make this world a better place. And I don't know what that looks like, but I, again, I've said this, I guess, three times now, so not to be redundant, but <laughs> I believe it takes a village. And uh, just being with very thoughtful, brilliant, and kind people who 
want to love on one another and want to spread love, the course I would teach because I know it could change the world. And that is what I'd focus on. Man, that'd be such a wicked class to, to <laughs> take, <it> be? man. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be? It'd be so fun. <laughs> oh, once again, everyone, Matt Worthington, co-founder of Riser Network. Matt, man, it's it's been a blast. Thanks for coming on, sharing stories, being a light in the darkness. This was such a fun conversation. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together.